Welcome to the Game Art Co podcast. We're here with Miko Erola, a digital painter and concept artist. Welcome, Miko. It's nice to be here. Can you give us a brief overview of your background as a digital artist? I started being interested in art and games around the same time. I think my first memories of art is me recreating this cover image for Super Mario Brothers. And ever since then, I've been just as passionate about art as for video games. And I've been in an art school that was meant for oil painting. And as I was finishing the art school, I went to work as a full-time concept artist. And imagination in some form has been my main job for over 15 years now. So ever since that day that I started working as a concept artist, that is what I have been doing. And I'm still doing concept art, even though now I'm a freelance artist. So now my work is more varied and I do lots of different things. Sure. Well, I was interested to know, what is the origin of your online name, Angry Miko? Well, there's like no special deep meaning behind it. Miko is just a very common Finnish name. And I was... Uh, as I was signing up for an online gallery when I was younger, I got frustrated because all the Mikko names were taken. So then I became angry Mikko after that. But now <laughs> I just give a different explanation every time somebody asks that. Like a common answer is that like I'm angry Mikko because Premiere Pro is crashing all the time. So <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us something that most people don't know about you? It's not something that I share online a lot, but uh, I have been doing body painting for years and I still actively do it. I think it's nice to have a creative hobby that isn't like shown to everybody and there's like no money or other kinds of pressure related to it. And it's just fun to remind myself that like this is something that I actually like doing and I love doing that. Even if there's like no record of the works that I have done. I have photographs, but I'm never going to share them. I know that your childhood has involved a lot of travel and I was interested to know, has it affected kind of the way you've grown as an artist or became an artist? I think it has more influenced the style of art and the subject matters that I like. So I didn't grow up here in Finland because my father was uh, building power plants all over the world. So in all kinds of places that have a ton of blackouts. So in those places, I think that the general aesthetic kind of stuck with me and it's something that I can appreciate now in my art because I find like broken and kind of worn down things very beautiful and interesting and it's that kind of like broken beauty that I'm always looking for. I was interested to know because your background is in uh, oil painting when you trained. Um, do you think yes. that's had a much of an effect on how you approach digital painting at all? Well, it took me some time to realize that the two things are actually the same. So there was a long period of time when I thought that the way that I do oil paintings and the way that I do digital paintings, they are just two different styles and they're never going to merge. But over time, I started kind of incorporating more of that like oil painting logic to my digital painting style. And I realized that I can get much more kind of unique results because everyone's everyone's style of using brush strokes is unique to them. It's like your own handwriting in art. So nobody can replicate the way that you use brush strokes. And it can be very effective in when you're describing direction or volume. All of those things can be 
describe without brush strokes. But when you learn those things, I think there's no more efficient way to learn to kind of create a volume or direction or movement than learning them via brush strokes. So that is also something that I would recommend to anybody who is learning art to not get too crazy <laughs> with different brushes and just stick to few because art is hard enough without all of these like technical tools in the way. So you don't want to kind of like get confused of like how many pens do I need? You just need to draw. That's the thing. Yeah, sure. I definitely agree with that one, especially when you're teaching students as well, like stick to a few brushes and that's the, the way to go to keep it simple. Yeah. And also like I can't teach someone how to use brush strokes if I cannot see them. So if somebody, for example, uses a foliage brush to create leaves on a tree, it's really difficult to give a concrete feedback on their brush strokes. They can't improve in that one field at all. And also anybody else who is using that exact same brush is going to get the exact same results too. So it's much harder to teach those things if you can't like see physically those brush strokes. It's not that they need to always use the same style in the future, but as a way to learn, I think it's much faster way to learn how to use brush strokes because then you also know how to group brush strokes and group different details and you understand line rhythm. And those things are really important in any composition, no matter what the style or method of working that you use. So it just helps people to learn faster. And for me, it's just part of my own style. My style isn't just using brush strokes. I use the brush strokes that come naturally to me. Like somebody else who just uses brush strokes would paint completely differently. And that is just unique to how their hand works. What's the most paintings you've created in a year? And how did you keep motivated during that process as well? Um, motivation is something that an artist, especially a professional artist, you can't really wait for. I have painted 200 paintings in a year. And <laughs> for me, I consider a finished painting. A finished painting is only a painting that you publish somewhere that other people have access to that painting. Also, that painting has to have a name. Like when those two criteria are filled, then the painting is finished. But if you do a painting and just put it in your hard drive, I don't think it's finished yet. And personally, this might annoy somebody, but I don't think you have the right to keep it either. I think it's more generous to share your art than to just like hide it all in your own private personal folder. So I think having this sort of mentality that you do art out of generosity and you feel like you can give other people something positive by creating that art. I think that can help as motivation when you need it, but sometimes you just have to start painting because it's, I don't know, 6 a.m. or something. I think it was some writer who said that I only write when I'm inspired. Luckily, I'm inspired every day at 8 a.m. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's what I do. Well, what was the, the kind of key, key takeaways you got from like working uh, on that many paintings, like in the end? I've been talking with this one composer that I'm doing a collaboration with, and he has been doing this uh, music challenge that every day he does a new music piece, like whole track in one day. And he has been doing it for over 100 days now. And I think having this sort of like quantity goal 
it can help you improve your imagination. I wouldn't say that it would help anyone to paint faster because you learn to paint fast when you do long projects and that's where you experiment different techniques and there you find new ways to create certain effects in a more faster way. But when you create art in a really quick fashion, it kind of forces your brain to kind of like seek out ideas that are further apart from each other. So a beginner artist might make some sort of like very obvious uh, connections between two things like umbrellas and bats and combine those into an art piece. But when you have this sort of quantity pressure that you have to keep producing more and more, you go through those like obvious associations first and then you start reaching further and further and then the new unique ideas start coming because your mind gets trained to make these wider bigger leaps that are more brave when you put them together and I think that's what other people will look at and they think that your art is more original at least I feel like this has improved my imagination. Not just these 200 pieces a year, but just working as a concept artist in general, because you have to keep producing art every single day. You can't just have one thing that you keep doing year after year. So having this pressure to come up with new ideas, I think it has forced me to kind of go wider in search of different things that I can combine. But you have a really kind of positive attitude with with digital art in general which is really kind of refreshing to see at what point did you decide to be less self-critical about your art and kind of embrace what you what you do i don't know how i would feel about myself if i saw myself uh, 20 years ago because i was like everybody else and i hated everything that i did and i thought that everything is just crap but it didn't really help my art improve at all and I would still have to work every day and it's not really that much fun to work and put so much time and effort into something that you don't even like. So I think everybody at some point has to decide that I am doing good work. You have to decide You have to decide this yourself because nobody's going to come and say that like you're good enough now you can keep doing art. Your art is improving our society. It would be nice and beautiful to get this sort of a permission slip, but everybody has to give this permission to themselves and then just enjoy making art because otherwise they would just be miserable and feel like their art is not good enough and they're wasting their time because what a way is that to live, really? So I think I just realized this in a bigger scheme that... Like, I can't keep doing this to myself, that I actually like this. And I think it also came with the way that my art changed, that I was more interested in making art that I actually like making. It was also around the time that I quit the video game industry, at least as a full-time employee, and started working for myself, that I gave myself the permission to make a lot of art that I wanted to see. And I didn't want to kind of like hide that from anybody that like I am really excited about the things that I paint. And I think that kind of converts into the painting. You you really can't fake enthusiasm, but when you see it in a painting, I think it's like infectious. And you, you can see that the art, artist was excited about something. And that's something that I like seeing myself. One of my old uh, art teachers 
uh, Ayla Ekman Björkvist, who is like 200 years old now. <laughs> I always uh, went to see her uh, art exhibitions because every time I see those paintings, the way that she paints, it doesn't matter if I like or don't like those paintings, but the way that she paints, it, you can feel the excitement that she feels for painting and you feel so inspired to paint yourself after seeing those pieces. So I wanted to have that effect on some other people, that I don't want people to be envious of my painting skills, because that was something that I thought was cool when I was 15. But now it just makes me sad. I want to, people to be inspired. And now I do get more comments that they are inspired, because maybe I allow myself to be more excited about my art. So I think that might be the reason. Many people find your paintings evoke an emotional response. And what do you think has helped you develop this side of your, your work? I think that also came when I started making more art that I wanted to see. Because when you make your own personal projects and paintings, I think art is always this discussion that you have with yourself. You might not realize it when you're doing a painting, but when you look back on it, few months from that point when it was finished, you kind of understand how that painting reflects your life or yourself or the situation you were in at that moment. And I, I find that really compelling. I don't think I can claim that when you see my art, it's just art. When you go on my Instagram gallery and see a bunch of my paintings, I think you have a pretty good and clear idea of what kind of a person I am. And I think when you make art, you kind of have this responsibility to do it in the most honest way possible. And the hardest part is usually, at least for me, is to just get out of my way. There's this process that when you make an art piece, it's already trying to tell something. And I go through the same scenario every time that I am kind of trying to censor myself from not going too crazy with the idea so that other people can't really see what the painting is about. But at some point, I realized that I am standing in the way of the message, and then I just let the painting be what it is. And I think that way, I can serve <laughs> the purpose of the art piece in a more honest way. And it's always a rewarding process, and it's always exciting, and somehow incredibly scary. So I don't really think too much about what other people think of it, but it does scare me in the moment when I realize that this is the message that I'm hiding and getting out of my way feels scary because I feel like other people can see me, but they don't see me. They see themselves through my art. If it has any kind of like emotional connection with the viewer, it is because they are seeing their own life and seeing something in themselves in art and I think that's the purpose of art and that's why it needs to be done in the most honest way possible. Moving on to concept art, how would you go about learning concept art now if you were just starting out as a beginner? I think I would stop making so many kind of style changes in the beginning. I like changing styles still but in the beginning I think I was trying to do too many things at once and I understand how, for example, the concept art class students can be sometimes frustrated because progress in the beginning can seem so slow. But if that's your main frustration, I recommend that you pick like one thing 
that you want to improve on and focus on it because then when you keep repeating the same exercises over and over again you realize that for example if i want to learn how to draw cars if i just draw cars for three months i will get better at it like it's that simple i will get better at it at it in three months and then it will be motivating to see that progress but if i switch topics to like characters or hands or trees and every topic is different in every single painting then i am not really going anywhere when i'm going into all of these different directions so you don't gain anything into your own visual library or in your skill set it can be interesting to start new things but if you want to see progress then i think focus is something that will get you there but i understand that you have to have this balance between uh, fun and focused art so what that balance is is different for everybody what do you think is the most common misconception that students have about being a concept artist in the games industry? Definitely everybody thinks that concept art is about making fancy illustrations because that's what you see. You don't see thousands and thousands of concept art pieces that are never shown to the public. Most of the art that I have done during my years as a concept artist, they're never going to be seen by anybody because they were just ideas they were just visual problem solving uh, concept art can be sometimes that you use office markers on a post-it note and solve a character design problem right then and there on the desk of the 3d modeler and then you do 15 other things that day so it's not about pretty pictures it does help to have technical skills to create images uh, for communicating those ideas but the illustrations themselves they are just a language through which all of these design ideas are communicated to the rest of the team the illustrations themselves they are not important they don't have any physical value and they might be gone at the end of the project and not published anywhere sometimes concept art can overlap with promotional art for example when a character design piece is so good that it can serve as a character design for the team and serve as marketing material for the project but this is sort of like not this is not that common so usually you know that you're making a piece for promotional art purposes or that you're making an art piece just for the team to design something so it's mostly about visual problem solving and coming up with interesting unique ideas and presenting the players uh, interesting questions i personally feel like it's always more important to come up with interesting questions than to explain answers through images so especially when you're selling a project then this is the most important thing what core things uh, would you yourself look for in a student's portfolio for the role of a concept artist i think originality you do want some certain aspects that are on technical level already there when you give feedback in a professional setting you don't want the feedback to be about composition for example or line rhythm those should already be there in that student's skill set when they are hired for a job you want those conversations to be about the design and how they communicate like for example some key points in the story or how they communicate 
the setting or the world design. So being able to communicate interesting ideas and have something to say through your art. I cannot stress this enough. It's not enough to just make pretty pictures. It should be illustrations and concepts that kind of leave a lasting impression. Something that raise questions that you think about after you have scrolled past that image or a mood that you kind of get sucked into that painting when you see it. So those pieces are really important. And on the opposite side of this, I think generic is the worst thing that you can have in your portfolio. Uh, like a generic dragon design or a space marine. Even if one of those is in a portfolio, it's already like whoosh, gone. <laughs> because you, you can't afford to be generic. And I am speaking to everybody who is like listening to this podcast. Like if you live in a country, like for example, in Finland, if somebody needs a generic dragon design, they can outsource that in an incredibly impressive technical level with 10th of the cost that they would pay a concept artist that is working in house. So you do have to kind of like sell an idea that is more interesting. Just the technical like aspect of it is not enough because somebody can do it better than you and they can do it cheaper than you. So it's your idea that has to be worth the price. One idea that concept artists keep saying that you should keep like deleting pictures from your gallery and have this like very limited curated online presence. I don't agree with that at all, like not as an artist and as somebody who has looked through portfolios and hiring new interns and new artists. That is a huge red flag if somebody, for example, sends me a portfolio that has only eight images in them. They might be the best illustrations that I have seen all week. But if I can't find that artist online, I think that's a huge red flag on like, are they a perfectionist that they are only able to publish like their best work? Is this a person that is going to have a meltdown at the workplace when they have a limited deadline to work on something that cannot be perfect and then they are given feedback on it? Like, it's not the type of person that I would ever hire. Also, you can't kind of game the system by having just six pictures that are super awesome and get a job that way. Because like people are going to find out, especially in Finland, nobody hires somebody full time just like that based on a portfolio. There is going to be a, like a six month trial period where you can be fired at any time if it seems like you're not up to the quality standard that they are looking for. So if an employee can look at the online presence and see that this is a person who is actually painting consistently, we can understand that this guy knows how to paint under pressure and they are not taking like themselves too seriously. Because it's a huge issue, especially in creative work, that you want to avoid those sort of people. Because when somebody has like a huge mental breakdown at the workplace, you are still expected to do the fixes and be efficient team member for the rest of the day. So there's just no time for that. And it's very uh, energy consuming to work with those sort of people. So I don't know. If somebody sends six perfect images or eight, I would ask to see more. Yeah, I don't think it's a way to kind of 
bypass the skill level. If you have the skills, you have the skills. It doesn't matter if one of your paintings isn't that great. It happens to everybody. But once you have enough volume, the volume will solve all of those problems. Because we can see that, like, okay, most of your work is great. Even if you fail at one design, we can just ask for another. And that will fix it. And, yeah, it's just... The quality of like the sketches also goes into a certain direction when you, you limit it into this like one tiny area because every everything is basically like promotional material then when you have only eight pieces that you want to have in your portfolio and you want to have those quick sketches as well that like this was just an interesting idea and it's showing this thing in a quick way you wouldn't include any of those images if you only decide to include eight so that's something that I like highly disagree with. And I think it's harmful for the artists that they don't publish their own work. Yeah. yeah, really good to hear an alternative view on that. The biggest problem with like most young artists is that they take their own art too seriously, but just like being used to publishing everything, I, I think it fixes that over time. And that's something that I always try to do to my students as well, that's I really aggressively push them <laughs> to publish their work because uh, your current goal might be to have a full-time job in the game industry or film industry or whatever, but the bigger goal should be that your art and your online presence is so important that this full-time job is an option for you. It's not the only option, but it's something that you choose, but something that you don't have to choose. So when you're in a working conditions, sometimes it can feel like you don't have an escape route. I, I have started my own online presence, consciously thinking of it as like a shoveling myself and safety exit <laughs> if things go wrong, because it's a hit based business. Like even if you do really good work, like your company might go out of business for reasons that have nothing to do with you. And then what do you have? Like if you have a strong online presence, you will always have this safety net. I think that should always be the, the bigger goal. Like even if having a job while doing that could be like in between goal, but the bigger goal should always be that like you're so good and so visible as an artist that work will come to you like regardless of what companies are thinking about your current work currently. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely having the online presence, I, I agree with there. <laughs> and also to have some other voices to kind of uh, mirror yourself, like how people are uh, seeing your work. Because it can be very isolating if the only feedback that you get is only people in the company. And I don't mean companies like Housemark that has like 50 employees, but most game companies in Finland are just a few six to eight people, these small mobile indie companies. If the only feedback that you get from your creative work is from those people, that's probably not a very healthy situation to put anyone into <laughs> in the long run when it comes to their creativity and their ability to grow as an artist. I know that you've worked on a, a really good game in your career called Outland, and yeah. I really like the the atmosphere and the bold visual design. I wanted to know if you could share a few memories about the project at Housemark. 
so many and at the same time just like a blur <laughs> it was so much work i mean so much work uh i think a lot of people don't know that sony was interested in that project as well i think they contacted housemark and they were thinking of uh, converting it into an art uncharted game for playstation vita but at that moment ubisoft had already bought the project based on the initial pitches and concept pieces that we sent them which i think was really lucky <laughs> for me because ubisoft really let me do what i wanted with the art i don't think at any point they told me to kind of like tone down the crazy in any way and out of all the games that i have worked on i think outland i think it's the closest to my style i can see that my art is like a really big part of the visual presentation of that but at the same time like when anybody is talking about the game project it might seem like they made the game i made the game with like huge not a huge but like a small team of people that were incredibly passionate about that project we had like very strong like pretty brutal arguments and fights about it but it was just because we cared so much we i i felt all the time that everybody was working at the best of their abilities to make that thing and that was throughout the entire project throughout the years i think everybody was just making the best game that they could make <laughs> and it, it was exhausting i sometimes wonder if i could ever do a game like that again because it was so time consuming but at the same time i'm really lucky to have that memory and looking back on it i think the art style that we did for outland i think it's something that lasts the test of time there can be like technological advancements but most of outland was drawn on a table with an ink pen so <laughs> That technology is still the same as it was uh, back then. So I'm, I'm really happy with it. Yeah, it does sound like a dream project where you have that kind of creative freedom and doing a lot of it by painting the background elements. Yeah, I, I use this um, ink brush that uh, has hairs, hairs on it. Uh, so, so it looks like a real brush but you can kind of like squeeze the ink to the tip. It's a Sumi E brush. Also, I had this other amazing artist, Annie Rossier, working on it too. And she was a really, really big help. I think I would have just been crushed under the amount of work if she hadn't joined the project. But yeah, I remember back then thinking every day that this is a very unique opportunity, that these don't happen to everybody. So... I think that was also part of the reason why I gave my all for that project. I really wanted to make it the best way that I could because already back then I wasn't naive enough to think that this would ever happen again. And I don't think those sort of game projects happen a lot. We have a really interesting indie scene, but Outland was an expensive game. There was a big budget for it. We had a lot of time to design the levels and do the world building and all, all of the visual assets like there's a lot of work for it i i think that couldn't have been done with a shoestring budget because there was a lot of us working there 
What survival tips would you, would you give a game artist being offered freelance concept art from a company for the very first time? I think I don't take it too seriously. <laughs> that's, that's my suggestion. Because I know that like when you get your first commissions, they can feel like, oh my God, this is my one big break. But if you keep producing like con- consistent quality work, and doesn't mean that all of your work has to be on the same level. Just produce a whole ton of work and publish all of it. Don't be one of these guys who has only like eight pictures in their portfolio and then nothing else online. I mean, a portfolio is one thing, but your online presence should be ongoing, constant thing. That should like always be your priority, even if you have a full-time job. So when you get a project... Like negotiate it like you would any other job. Like ask what kind of money are they offering you and be realistic about what you can offer them so they can, so you can manage their expectations on like what you can produce in what amount of time. I think I have this problem and like most other artists also have this problem that we tend to over promise on the deadline that it will be done on Tuesday and this is a three-week project basically that you have agreed to. So give yourself some like leeway for things to go wrong. Like hardware could break, you could lose something about your graphics program or something that something unexpected always comes up and just having a few extra days to work with is always helpful. So be very careful with time estimates and then just like have a little bit of buffer (laughs) there. Yeah. I wish that I would have given myself this advice every single time that I have taken on a commission because every time the last uh, two days, you are just like working and hysterically crying, trying to make it to the deadline. (laughs) What art book um, would you consider you can't live without personally? Is there any art book that you always kind of go back to um, in your career? Well, it's not something that I open on a consistent basis, but Johannes Itten, uh, Colors in Art. Uh, I think Itten's uh, color theory is uh, basically the color theory that all art teaching is based on, and it's just really useful to have that in your possession. And the book is really short too, so it's not going to take you that long to read through. And I wouldn't waste too much time with all of the mathematical equations there, but just like the general idea of complementary colors and how human eye averages everything to gray. I I think those are things that I use every single day when I paint. So it's not an art book, (laughs) but color theory book that everybody should at least read. You don't have to have it. What's the best part about being a freelance kind of digital artist compared to working in a game studio? And is there anything you miss from the, the game studio as well? As, as crazy as this might sound, like I sometimes miss the, like the crazy crunch hours. Like they were definitely bad for everyone's health, but uh, just like doing like crazy stuff in the last few weeks before a product is released that was like kind of exciting like for example for outland i redid all of the colors during the last uh, <laughs> two weeks which was uh, insane and 
yeah, just the people. I miss the people, but freelance is so much better that I can't see myself going back to a full-time job. I think when you're working in a company, as I said, there is a ton of work that nobody gets to see. It might be like really good work that you're super proud of. And it kind of wears on you to see that being kind of like thrown into the trash all the time. Not just uh, not being published, but also uh, the designer and the visual look of the project might change over time as well. And therefore, it doesn't make sense to use the artwork for anything even promotional when the game goes to the, the release stage. And through that, nobody really knows who you are or what you do. And this might sound like a selfish idea from a Finnish artist, but after working for, I guess, like 10 years, I had this feeling that I have been on the front page of IGN.com. Like many times my art has been there, but like nobody knows who I am. And I was just like, I, I'm not okay with this anymore. I want people to see my art and know that it has been done by me. And I think that's why also my style changed so drastically to be this sort of like super honest version of myself that like, if you don't like my art, it's fine, but this is what this is. <laughs> like this is the whole package of craziness that you get when you look at my art and having this connection with the people who see my art and being able to communicate with them and getting these emails, like for example, being able to encourage new new artists or people who haven't painted for some time to be able to have this sort of communication with them. And so many have com- contacted me and said that they have seen, for example, my videos and started doing painting for the first time in eight years or something. It's just something that couldn't be replaced with money or a daytime job. It just wouldn't be the same. Any last motivational tips for aspiring concept artists out there? Well, if you're young and you're just starting your whole creative uh, journey, first of all, congratulations. That's a great choice that you just made. But I think you should make a beeline for the things that you like. Uh, This is really important in the long run. And I'm thinking about your career here. So practicing art is a lifelong process. Everybody who is doing it is still on that journey to getting better. There is no finish line there. So you want to find something that gives you as much energy as you put into making it. So you can have this horrible crunch sessions of like, I'm going to make art every day for 30 days, but you're going to run out of that energy if there's no bigger reason for why you're doing it. When you find that thing that gives you that sort of joy and energy and excitement, other people will see that in your art and you will find success that way, but you will also find success in your art being able to be that source of happiness for yourself. So finding that is just the most important thing and you shouldn't ever apologize for making like one topic too much of it because that's the way that you find your kind of like genius zone that you will be known for in the future if you think about any of your artistic heroes 
they are probably all doing the exact thing that they love doing when they find that one thing that they like. So <laughs> find that thing and don't apologize for making too much of it. Big thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Mikko. Thank you. Thank you. This was, this was really fun. Subscribe for more tips on how to create a winning game art portfolio.